Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rock Metal Podcast. I am your host, John Harris. That sample you just heard was Convicted of the Right by Final Coil. I've got on the show with me right now. I've got a new EP called Convicted of the Right. Is that correct? Am I right? Am I convicted of being right in there? <laughs> yes, John, you're absolutely right. Yep. Okay. EP called Convicted of the Right, which is available now via Wormhole Death Records. Right now, I'm being joined by Phil and Yola to share some stories about the music and share more info about their latest release, because this is the second time, I believe, that uh, we've been joined by Phil and Yola, because last time it was the uh, full album, and this is an extension to that album that we're going to be chatting about. So guys, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having us. It's great to be here. Hello. Hello. Pickle lady. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming back on to the show. Um, And for those out there who would love to check out the previous interview, go ahead and go to today's show notes at www.therockmetalpodcast.ca. You can search for Final Coil, and then both interviews will go ahead and pop up. Now, I'm curious, mostly out of a sense of ignorance, what in the world does this track title mean? (laughs) (laughs) Um. It's uh, the the album as a whole, the parent album, the world we left behind for others, is kind of a concept record based around uh, the kind of combined memories of of my my grandmother and my grandfather, who, uh, uh, although separated, sort of seemed to kind of you know they they loomed large in my my younger life and. Convicted of the Right is one of the sections uh, that's based around um, some of the little that I know of my grandfather, and he was uh, heavily involved in, in World War Two, and the experiences that he went through uh, changed him significantly, and he, like so many of his generation, uh, came back uh, very altered and very difficult uh, to, to, to live with. But, of course... Um, that's the, the sort of personal angle, but then on a wider angle, it was more a kind of question of what happens to people when you bombard them with uh, imagery and you bombard them with propaganda and you bombard them with the mindset that that you are right and that you are the sole arbiter of right and that the people with whom you're fighting are wrong. You know, how do you how do you allow people when peacetime comes around to reconcile that and to kind of deprogram themselves? And in many cases, it's, it seems uh, that you can't. And uh, so that the, the idea, you know, of being convicted of the right is kind of a comment on that, that uh, when you've got so many peoples in so many different countries and so many different cultures, all of whom believe uh, because of the, the kind of propaganda that's been pushed in their way that they are correct, you know, someone's got to be right and someone's got to be wrong. But uh, trying to reconcile that in a globalized world is very, very difficult. So it was kind of a bit of a, a meditation on that. You know, how does someone of that kind of wartime generation, heavily influenced by propaganda, how do they learn to accept or can they learn to accept a, a more global, integrated world? Or will that kind of sense of, of mistrust and that, that feeling of not really belonging always remain with them? Was easy, Phil. We're right; they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Which begs the question of who we are. <laughs> now you're just now you're you're just honking on the wrong horn or something. I don't I don't know. 
<laughs> it's not, it almost sounded like you spit out your tea, which I, made me even happier that I said that. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the thing is, in truth, and uh, I, I dive into this sometimes onto the show when it seems applicable, um, and uh, it, this this moment seems particularly applicable. It's almost like it now's my chance. Um, you know, click my heels and, and head on into the spotlight for a second. Uh, but I've been to Russia and as somebody who borders Russia, for those who don't know, who need to look at a globe, Canada and Russia touch each other at the Arctic circle. And, uh, speaking of propaganda, we had the Dewey line, the defense early warning system where if the Soviet Union had decided that they were going to attack the United States, they were going to come over Canada with missiles to do that. And therefore, in partnership with the United States, we had the Dewey Line, the Defense Early Warning System, set up in the far north, where a system of polar bears, I guess, uh, (laughs) were going to stand up and make noise and clap and whatever and uh, you know, basically the United States would be able to defense, defend themselves faster. Well, how do you justify putting in a defense early warning system? Well, it must be because these people are bad and so on and so forth. And uh, then when I was in university, so I grew up hearing Soviet propaganda from there. Uh, and the, the interesting thing is that even I'm 35, so the wall came down when I was four or five years old. Um, so, I mean, we came witness to all of these very strategic events in time. Uh, where all of a sudden, you know, the Germans were okay. All of a sudden, the Russians were okay. Um, And then when I was in Russia, I ended up finding out that they were told the exact same thing, that (laughs) Americans are evil and Germans are evil. And it it became this really perplexing situation to go, well, no, 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 hold on a second. We're not the evil ones. You're the evil ones. (laughs) Because I was I was told that by my propaganda engine and, you know, where do you draw the line at propaganda and, um, you know, especially being raised in said post-World War II, post-Cold uh, War, um, what I will refer to as by some closed-minded individuals in my family, I was raised to actually hate Russians and hate Germans and and it's it's tremendous because as I went to Russia and I went to Germany and I started finding out for myself that these people were told the exact same thing, that it's all just a mirage, uh, that it's just part of the, the human life cycle to to engender a political disgust to, to drive some sort of political mayhem uh, as part of the fabric of humanity uh, – when I came to that conclusion, that was very upsetting for a lot of people in my family. No, 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 no. They're not okay. They're evil people. Still, <laughs> still to this day, really. Uh, that's crazy. And you know, here you are writing a writing a track about this very phenomenon. You know, how do you, after such uh, propaganda has slammed the society, then come to terms with that and? Unfortunately, I think the real answer, Phil, is that we have to wait for that generation to no longer be here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there may be an aspect of that. Um, Although, of course, you know, the the issue, and I suppose the the wider question of of the album as a whole was, you know, you've got that generation, and of course those ideas passed down, you know, racism, xenophobia, these things are 
you know, sort of inherited in, in a nurturing rather than a nature sense. Um, and of course, you know, if, if you're, as, as you say, you know, if you, if you grow up kind of inculcated in this idea that uh, a group of people, whether it's by, by skin colour or whether it's by uh, ethnicity or whether it's by language group or cultural group or, or even, you know, in terms of kind of uh, comprehension of genders, um, if you don't have uh, the sort of direct experience that, say, you had, uh, having that opportunity to travel and, and experience for yourself, deprogramming, you know, a person is, you know, it's, it's something that I think education finds very difficult to do, and it's it's very difficult to kind of do for yourself unless you're kind of some mad autodidact. So, uh, you know, it, it's a very slow process, and that's I think you know part of that kind of meditation was was just how far-reaching that kind of damage, that kind of propaganda, that kind, those kind of ideas and mindsets really are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. Phil, we could go on for days. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the, the, the cheery joy that Final Coil like to bring into people's homes. Exactly. It's going to be about ice cream. Exactly. <laughs> the uh, the propaganda of ice cream, which is, uh, if you look at the Egyptian hieroglyphs, they use their witchcraft to invent ice cream. <laughs> It's, it's going to be about political ice cream, you know, like how, how the Neapolitan actually suspiciously looks like a flag. Exactly, a Neapolitan flag. <laughs> um, but actually, true story, speaking of, of more propaganda, something I was recently getting into, because, you know, what else do you do in your free time? Is <laughs> is Egyptian propaganda, and one of the uh, really interesting notes, not only about, you know, wars that they may or may not have actually won, despite what their propaganda says... Uh, on the hieroglyphs, uh, what a shock. That's uh, somebody's own resume. I wonder if it says anything bad. Um, now, the next thing is is that they invented bread, and well, how did they invent bread? Well, through their witchcraft, and uh, it's hilarious to think about now because now we understand what yeast is. But there it is for all to see on the hieroglyphs that they invented bread through witchcraft, and so it's just, it's interesting how far we can go through go with propaganda and how easy it is based on the the point in time and the education of the people to which it is being broadcast. Uh, how how miraculous uh, of uh, conclusions they can draw to. It's it's really interesting. I mean, you can you can trace a lot of this stuff back, as you say, a long long way, and it, I mean, it basically goes hand in hand with the agricultural revolution of about 12,000 years ago and when you get those kind of first people starting to jealously group themselves into uh, independent kind of state groups, you know, the early city-states uh, which then flowed into the empires and eventually the kind of nation-state system that, that we have now. But of course, it's all kind of based in this idea of, of bringing people together into this kind of small-minded, somewhat parochial mindset in order to maintain the power base of the people at the top. You know, if you if you look after us, if you vote for us, or if you allow us to, to rule you, then we will protect your culture and your way of life from what is outside. And it's uh, it's very powerful and very seductive. And I think it's, it's a really interesting topic that maybe it's explored in certain areas, but perhaps not widely as it should be. And when you look at, for example, here in England, we've had this kind of vote to, to leave the EU. And uh, um, in America, you've got a, a populist president. You know, when you look at sort of situations like that, you start to realize just how seductive that kind of that us versus them narrative can be when it's allowed to run unchecked. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> now, if you want to uh, check out the music video for Convicted of the Right, you can do so by going to today's show notes at www.therockmiddlepodcast.ca. I guess my big honking question, Phil, is um, out of all the tracks to showcase you know, off of the, the previous body for this interview, why the last battle, and then what is this track about? Well, I, the, the reason to, to put the last battle is because it's one of uh, a, a, the other tracks that's thematically linked to, to my grandfather and to this idea of, of um, programming. Um, the last battle itself, uh, despite its title, is not about fighting or about warfare as such. It's about people coming back from the fighting so again it was it was based in at least in part of what i know of, of my grandfather which to be honest is a bit sketchy uh combined with um historical records of soldiers coming back and that kind of demobilization process and again um the the, the root of the the sort of narrative from his standpoint is you know uh, how having fought in the mud and the blood and and, and coming back to society where everybody's kind of behaving normally and life is just going on as if nothing's really happened um and then very soon after you're dealing with kind of international treaties and the movements of people and migration again you know how do you reconcile those things how do you come to terms with that uh, and again you know one, one of the things i think we, we've seen in, in recent years is the whole kind of tracts of society and I, you know i think it's it's perhaps wrong to tar an entire generation with this with that brush because it's not you know all old people or all young people but certainly a substantial proportion say of, of people who were either directly affected or, or uh, indirectly affected sort of as, as young children by the war um they have that kind of inherent mistrust of internationalization in in any form um and i think again it's it's an interesting question to raise um, but I, I felt that those two songs, although they don't run next to each other in the album, they thematically those two are very, very close. And when we did the videos, um, the video for The Last Battle, um, which was a, a fairly loose piece, which just has this kind of hallucinatory uh, figure running away from some unnamed evil uh, because we wanted to try and just create a sense of unease for the video, uh, we, we actually created a, a prequel to that. Uh, when we did the video for Convicted of the Right, and in Convicted of the Right, uh, we at least get the idea that there's this uh, heavily traumatised sort of unnamed soldier suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, and uh, perhaps, although it's never entirely explicit, perhaps he he might be the cause of the the character in the first video to be to be running um, and so terrified through through the the uh, abandoned woods. Um, so you know it was an interesting uh, idea to pair those two songs together, even though in, in the actual album that they're, they're separated by quite a lot of, of music. Wow, very cool. And speaking of that music video, if you want to go ahead and check it out, you can do so by going to today's show notes at www.therockmetalpodcast.ca. And the latest body of work to come from the band Final Coil is an EP called Convicted of the Right uh, via Wormhole Death Records. Now, specifically with regard to you know this EP, I guess the question is, take us through it. What is this EP and why, I guess? Um, I think, yeah, you said, you said you're 35 and I'm just a little bit older. Um, and we grew up in, in a time where you used to go into an independent record shop and... Uh, You'd go rifling through the cases and you'd have a very limited amount of money as a, as a child, particularly. So you had to really kind of think about what you were going to buy and, and what you were going to spend your money on that week. And one of the things I always remember 
is that the bands I particularly loved, they either did singles or they did EPs. And they always had these really cool exclusive tracks that you couldn't find anywhere else. They weren't on the albums. Uh, we didn't have this kind of mentality of releasing an album as a special edition every single time. You know, an album was an album, and then you had the EPs and you had the singles. And in a lot of cases, the, the EPs contained these awesome songs that weren't available anywhere else and actually became some of my favourite things. So bands off the top of my head like uh, Nirvana, um, Alice in Chains, I think, were good with that. Um, certainly the Manic Street Preachers, Nine Inch Nails. Um, you know, you, you'd basically be able to amass this really interesting kind of ancillary collection away from the album of really cool stuff. And of course, you know, the, the, the proof of the quality of these things is that sort of now in this age of reissuing everything, you get a lot of B-sides sort of uh, compilations and stuff coming out. Um, but yeah, it, it's purely a nostalgia trip. I loved it. I loved uh, going to the record shops and digging in and finding these EPs because it felt like it was something a bit more intimate, a bit more connected to the band and the album that you knew everybody had. Um, and it was the sort of thing that you'd take home and you'd listen to and it would be really cool and you want to share it with your friends. And yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a, a sucker for that sort of thing. And I really have always wanted to do something like that for, for Final Coil. So when it came time to do another video, I didn't want to just do a video and drop a song onto Spotify because that's the easy route. Um, I was talking to the band and I said, look, let's go into the studio, let's record some some tracks because, you know, it's, it's really cool to kind of have that um, visceral live feel. Um, and let's do that as something special. And, and in the end, it became this EP. So you've got the title track and then you've got these three exclusive uh, live tracks, which we did all in one afternoon you know, totally the opposite of our normal recording style. Did it all in one afternoon, no overdubs. Um, and then we got those mixed and mastered and we put it out as digital, but also as a cassette. Um, and, you know, for me, I thought the idea of having a cassette with uh, some exclusive artwork, which Yola hopefully will we'll talk a little bit about in a minute. Um, I just thought that would be so cool. And uh, it, it seems that, you know, the people who like us have a, that similar sort of idea because certainly people have really kind of dug into this idea of, of having a cassette and having something just a bit more tangible and a bit more meaningful, perhaps, than the usual sort of digital shenanigans. Okay. I love shenanigans. Hey, Farber, what's that <laughs> place you like with the uh, mozzarella cheese sticks and the funny shit on the walls? You mean shenanigans? Shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Well, gang, uh, unless there's anything else that you wanted to share, I know usually this time of the year there'd be a lot of stuff to share about festivals and tours, but... Um, with that being relatively on the back burner, so probably next year at this point. Um, unless there's anything else that you wanted to throw out there that I didn't mention or bring up, I just wanted to thank you for coming back on to the show. Um, well, I would actually say maybe about the artwork, actually, of our EP, because that's uh, entirely actually my work, uh, and it was based on many things which uh, actually we're following one after another one, you know. After actually recording our video, um, which uh, one of our friends and actor Mark uh, was taking part of. Um, I got inspired actually um, um, because uh, he took this really, really deep, um, the, the, whole, the whole recording and his acting that I decided uh, to basically, based on his feelings, do something which uh, would go on the EP. Uh, but the idea was that um, um, he was watching at that time video of our um, our our guitarist, you know, uh, who was um, uh, a soldier, and uh, 
he got involved like emotionally about this. So after this, I, I just draw actually the picture of the soldier and uh, that is how it went through from that point. And at the end, uh, we, I've created some kind of... Um, it's like a propaganda leaflet, isn't it? A propaganda leaflet, yes, basically. But uh, at the front cover, we have our Richard, who is our guitarist <laughs> at the same time. So, yeah, it's just like a really cool thing. You know, it's just something, you know, it ties into what I was saying, this kind of idea of a nostalgia trip, you know, not, not just to, to do something special with the music, but to do something special with the art as well. And that's, I think, you know, what Yoda's trying to get at is, is it's a really big part of our band that we, we like to make sure that people who listen to us, you know, there's the videos, there's the art, there's the music, everything tells a story. Everything's kind of like part of, of what we do. It's really important to us. And I guess... Yeah, the fact that people have kind of dug into that and are buying the cassette or, you know, following us on Facebook or whatever, it's really appreciated because, yeah, you, you, you never know. Kind of people, uh, I think, um, have, have, are so busy now that when they take the time to actually dig into a band like ours where there is a, a kind of narrative and a concept, I think that means a lot to us. And it's, um, yeah, it's been really, really cool doing this and doing this to kind of cap off the album as well. Um, because uh, again, you know, we sort of mentioned before the show started, we can't talk too much about it, but we, we do have plans to do a third record. Um, and uh, the one thing that I will share with you, which we haven't shared anywhere else, is that the third record is um, conceptually um, the direct follow up to the second album. So basically, it caps off a trilogy that started with the Persistence of Memory and finishes with the, the album that's still to come. Um, so, you know, we've, we've really got kind of big plans to, to cap this off in a, a fairly powerful style. Very cool stuff. All right. Well, gang, thank you so much for coming back onto the Rock Metal Podcast. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you again. Thank you very much.